What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. There's a spy in my Trump in Trump Tower. There's a spy in the White House. There's a spy in the executive mansion. Donald Trump sees spies everywhere. Hey, what do you say, everybody? It's Tuesday, Tuesday, May 22nd. So good to see you today. And thank you for... Uh, Thank you for joining us and being part of the uh, Bill Press Show. You, the most important part of the Bill Press Show. Actually, all of our great friends all across the uh, country, on radio and television, on YouTube, thank you for joining us. And uh, we have uh, lots and lots to talk about yesterday. Yes, following up on the latest on the spy spotting. Donald Trump insisting that the FBI planted a spy, put one of their employees inside of his campaign to spy on his campaign and, of course, like many of his other outrageous assertions over the past couple of years, uh, he has no evidence to support it. He just makes up stuff, puts it out there, and then uh, gets everybody excited. But this time it's a little more serious than that because he not only has put out there uh, the uh, allegation of a spy in his office, that assertion, but he has demanded that the Justice Department launch a complete investigation of his lie uh, just like I guess he expected them to do a complete investigation of the fact that he claimed there were more people at his inauguration than ever, ever any other inauguration or human event in history. So much to talk about, so much you are going to want to comment on, so get ready. Get ready to go on Twitter, at BP Show. Let us hear from you, your comments on the news of the day, at BP Show. Great lineup of guests, lots to talk about. We get right into it, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. There's a lot of news out there, but my favorite story of the day is Juan Soto. Juan Soto, 19 years old, was brought up by the Washington Nationals yesterday to start Mm, in his mm. very first game. First at bat, first yeah. pitch in the second inning. Here's Charlie Slows with the call. Three bases, first pitch, hit of the air to deep left field. Back goes Caesar. It's way back. It's going, going. It's gone. Goodbye. A three-run homer to the opposite field in left center for 
19 years old, jacked a three-run homer in his very first at bat. 19 years That's old. That's amazing. He is the first 19-year-old to hit a home run in a Major League Baseball game in six years. Do you know who the last person to do it, the last teenager to do it? No idea. <clears throat> Bryce Harper. No kidding. Back in 2012, Bryce Harper Did he was come the, up as a uh, teenager. Bryce Harper came up as a teenager. Wow. Bryce Harper's been with his team for a while, and yeah. so Juan Soto yesterday showing up, hitting a three-run shot. The, the home run, by the way, 422 feet. It was mm. a monster home run here so, at Nats Park, right? Right here at Nats Park. But so. uh, also the first pitch, first, first pitch. time at bat first in the National bat. League, yeah. first pitch, boom, home run. Yeah, moonshot, gone. Hard to follow that. Yeah, man. I mean it's all downhill from there, I guess. By yeah. the way, yesterday he made it official. Bernie Sanders putting out a statement saying, quote, today I am announcing my intention to run. For a third term. For re-election to the United yes. States Senate yes. in 2018. Yes. Just to be clear, he is running for re-election to the Senate in 2018. Not a surprise. No. Not a surprise. But uh, we, uh, I, I, In fact, I mean, he's had uh, a campaign underway. He's had his campaign manager, Shannon, who I forget his last name, who went from our revolution yeah. to Vermont to run the campaign. So I thought Bernie had announced actually a long time, time ago. but Yeah, not really a surprise. But uh, he, he's back in it. And, and yesterday, by the way, this is so crazy when we talk about all the damage that the Trump administration is doing. They proposed rolling back a 2015 rule that bans, quote, aggressive predator control taxes, d- tactics in national preserves in Alaska. In other words, we used to be able to go and shoot bear cubs and wolf pups in their den because they are, quote, unquote, predators. Mm-hmm. And that's a way of controlling the predator population. Uh, we did away with that because it's pretty cruel. Well, the Trump administration yesterday said, no, nah, we'd like to bring that back. But of course. I mean, it's Donnie Jr. They're big game hunters. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Remember Ryan Zinke wanted to bring back the poaching elephants. Yeah. I mean, at least Donald Trump turned that one around. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump treating the Justice Department like his uh, little personal staff, ordering them which investigation to undertake and which investigations to shut down. Unprecedented meddling by the President of the United States into our system of law and order. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Tuesday? Here we go on a big Tuesday, May 22nd. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show, and here we are in our studio on Capitol Hill, reaching out to you all around the globe, starting out right here in the United States of America, of course, coast to coast. With all the news of the day, we join you online uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, where we encourage you again to go online. Go to our podcast also during the day, uh, anytime during the day. BillPressShow.com will take you to the podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you go for your podcast. And sign up for the podcast so you are part of the, the Bill Press team and you will get our updates all throughout the day. And also some video over the weekends that nobody else will get, but you got to sign up. Uh, for the podcast and become part of our podcast team here on the Bill Press Show. And, of course, we're with you on Free Speech TV, as always, coast to coast, and joining you on the radio in Indiana, Indiana Statewide, Indiana Talks, 
and all through the greater Chicago area. How about it on WCPT? Lots and lots to talk about. But first, um, first, got a little personal business to take care of here. First, we've got a little wardrobe change. I want, I want, I want to expose who I really am today. You might think I'm just some guy wearing an old, crappy, crappy okay. jean shirt. All right, I oh, was no, actually no. going to ask you no, what was no, happening no. with your outfit. No, today. no, no. We got. I want to expose who I really am today. Okay. Here we go. I am the enemy. Oh hell Here yeah! We are. <laughs> yes, the enemy of the American people. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, and proud of it. I love it. It's the big reveal here. That's great. Yes, that's all I'm taking off. By the way, so. uh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Yes, Donald Trump. Proud of it. That's a great shirt. Come get me. That's fantastic. I got that on uh, on the road on on part of my book tour for uh, from the left. Very nice. Yes, of course. Life in the crossfire. Uh, and good friends out in California gave me this, and I said I'm going to wear that on the air. Hell yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love it. finally remembered it today. <laughs> I love it. It's great. It's, it's a great shirt. Yeah, it's a great cool. shirt. You know what? It would be great if the entire Washington press corps, like the White House press corps, right? If, if Sarah Huckabee Sanders walked into a briefing one day and we were all sitting there wearing that shirt, yeah. this shirt. That would be great. Wouldn't that be dynamite? That'd send a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, I, I don't know what she would say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you are all our enemy because you don't like us and you just tell lies and fake news. <laughs> At any rate, there we are with uh, so much to talk about. Good congressman from uh, Oregon's 3rd District, Congressman Errol Blumenauer, is going to be joining us just uh, just a little bit later. Uh, he's got lots and lots on his mind, including uh, the uh, Republican efforts in the Congress to scuttle the farm bill uh, this week, which they did. Alexa McCammon from Axios uh, will be along as a friend of Bill for the entire second hour. Uh, and uh, Alexia and I will be joined a little bit later in the hour by uh, one of our favorites, Jen Bendery from Huffington Post. HuffPost uh, covering the Congress and the White House for uh, for HuffPost. Man, where do we start today? Let's start where we, we talked at the very, very top here about something that is extremely troubling. Uh, and it's on the wake of, all right, we'll start with just another little take on this incredible, unfounded uh, com- uh, um, assertion by Donald Trump, I guess. I started to say attack. It was an attack on the, on the FBI. And his assertion that the FBI actually planted a spy in the middle of his campaign, the 26th presidential campaign, somebody actually working for the FBI who pretended to be a political operative and got a job on the Trump campaign, was actually inside the campaign. And I, I talked to a Jeff Tubin from CNN, who I think is one of the smartest uh, legal minds in the country today, uh, about this uh, yesterday evening. Uh, and Jeff agreed with what we talked about yesterday. First of all, the whole thing is absurd, out, totally outrageous. And But the FBI was, it does show us, that the FBI was investigating the Trump campaign, some people in the Trump campaign, because they had good information that there were people in the Trump campaign, uh, namely George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. It turned out there were a lot more, but at least those two were having all these buddy-buddy meetings, and Carter Page had been under their radar for a long time, even long before this campaign started. 
But they were having buddy-buddy meetings with Russian operatives and then going around and bragging about it to certain people that they were picking up all kinds of dirt uh, on Hillary Clinton, which they were using, and the Russians were helping them uh, to turn the tide in the 2016 presidential campaign, which is against the law. I mean, they say collusion is not a crime. Wait a minute. It is a crime for any foreign government to interfere in an American election. By extension, if you're helping that foreign government interfere in an American election, you're committing a crime. So that's what the FBI was looking into. But as I pointed out yesterday, the big picture here is, and I have a, checked my column in The Hill this morning, thehill.com, on this very issue. The, the big issue is that while the FBI was investigating Donald Trump, they were also investigating, of course, Hillary Clinton. The difference is we knew about the Hillary Clinton criminal investigation. The first phase of it, then they said nothing illegal but pretty sloppy. And then they came back to James Comey on October 28 and reopened that criminal investigation, told the world about it just 11 days before the election. And that knowledge of that whole investigation, phase one and phase two, especially phase two, absolutely, certainly hurt Hillary Clinton, helped Donald Trump, helped turn the election the way it did. No doubt about it. You could even make the argument, uh, as Lanny Davis does in his book, that that October 28 action by James Comey cost Hillary Clinton the election because she never recovered from it. That's the Clinton side of it. On the other side, They're investigating Donald Trump for criminal activity. And we never said a word about it. Never, never revealed that at all. Had they done so, and again, uh, Jeff Tubin agreed to this last night. Had they done so, it certainly would have hurt Donald Trump. And it may very, very, very well have meant that the election could have gone the other way. Uh, and Donald Trump uh, would have lost and Hillary Clinton won. We don't, we'll never know that. But clearly, what Donald Trump ought to be doing today is saying, thank you, FBI. Thank you for helping me win. Thank you, James Comey. Because of you, I'm president of the United States now, and Hillary Clinton is not. Instead, he's attacking the, uh, the FBI and has has been doing so for the last two years. So that gets us to... Uh, the big meeting at the Oval Office yesterday, uh, which is Donald Trump not only said, hey, they put a spy in my, uh, in my, in my in Trump Tower, it's never been done before, and that was wrong. He's also now then, then he turned around Sunday morning and demanded, demanded that the Justice Department open an, an investigation into his claim that there was a spy in Trump Tower. This is something that we've never seen from any president since Richard Nixon, I guess, but not even to this extent under Richard Nixon. But certainly George W. Bush never did this. His father never did this. Bill Clinton never did this. I mean, there is this tradition, and it's a pretty serious and longstanding tradition, that of all the cabinet agencies, the Department of Justice stands alone because of our respect for the rule of law. And because we depend on the impartiality of our legal system, that the Justice Department is an independent branch of the government that does its thing and goes where it has to go regardless 
of who's in the White House. And we've seen that independence on many, many different occasions. Well, Donald Trump is treating the Justice Department like his little personal lawyer, his little personal staff. So the idea that, first of all, he would spend all this time, which he has for the last 18 months, trying to convince the Justice Department, that's why he fired James Comey, because Comey wouldn't do it, trying to convince him to drop an investigation of himself, of his own behavior. I mean, that, that talk about obstructing justice, calling the head of the FBI in and saying, come on, can you, can't you just put this investigation, which we now know was ongoing, all the way back to the 2016 campaign, trying to pressure Comey to drop that investigation, which he didn't. And ever since then, he's been trying to pressure Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein to fire Robert Mueller and drop this investigation. And now, in addition to pressure to drop that investigation, now he wants them and is ordering them to start a whole new investigation into his BS claim that there was a spy in his, in his, in his tower. So again, he's, he's trying to turn the Justice Department into his own little plaything, his own little personal attorney, his own little Michael Cohen or Rudy Giuliani, that he can call up and say, do this, do that, do this, do that. That's not, that's not what the Department of Justice is all about. Democratic leader Chuck Schumer took to the floor of the Senate yesterday uh, to talk about this. Um, good for him and talk about how outrageous it is. That he would issue such an absurd and abusive demand based on no evidence shows just how little regard the president has for the rule of law. Absolutely. No, he doesn't care. For him, the Department of Justice, again, is only his little tool to help Donald Trump. Uh, Schumer uh, continues, yeah, there are countries uh, uh, that operate this way with their justice system. I don't expect it of the United States. The president's behavior is the kind of grossly autocratic behavior we'd expect in a banana republic, not a mature democracy. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, we've seen this before, not yet, not here, not here in the United States. You know, Nixon used the FBI to go after his, what the people he considered his political enemies and tried to sick the IRS on the FBI, on, on, on his political enemies. Um, we never thought we'd see it again post-Nixon. We're seeing it now with Donald Trump, uh, clearly, again, Chuck Schumer, an abuse of power. The president's demand is a blatant abuse of executive power, an ill-informed, sloppy attempt to discredit the duly constituted investigation led by the special counsel. And to make matters worse, I mean, clearly, again, this is all part of an orchestrated campaign uh, to undermine the integrity of the entire Department of Justice of the Attorney General, of the Deputy Attorney General, and of the Special Counsel. Uh, and Donald Trump did, uh, not letting up on this, he did two things about that yesterday. Number one, he summoned to the Oval Office the Deputy Director of the Department of Justice, Rod Rosenstein, and the Director of the FBA, FBI, Christopher Wray, uh, and again told them face-to-face, I want you to start this new investigation uh, and, um, by the way, while you're at it, 
Yeah, why don't you fire Robert Mueller and end the investigation? Uh-oh, is he tweeting this morning? No, 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 I was oh. just looking because I wanted to pull up his original tweet oh, that yeah. got us into okay. this where he says, I hereby demand. Demand, demand. And will officially do so tomorrow. Yeah. Right, so this, yeah. is, this is why he had that meeting. Right. Demand that the department, the independent Department of Justice, right, it's like, I demand, yeah, he'll do this next, I'll bet you. I demand that the Supreme Court take this case. Yeah. And I demand that the Supreme Court rule this way. I mean, that's that's what he thinks of the rule of law. You know, you're making a joke, but... Not really. But also not really. Like, he you, would 100% do that. He would do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Once he cowers the Department of Justice... The other thing, by the way, I'm, I'm not sure that Rod Rosenstein should have taken that meeting with the president of the United States. I know some justices or depart, um, attorney generals or deputies would have said, no, Mr. President, we know what we're doing. Right. Right. Just stay out of it. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing, get this. You don't think this is a political campaign to undermine the integrity again uh, and the credibility of, of, the, uh, of the special counsel and to try to force him and embarrass him to drop the investigation. Yesterday, the Trump campaign sent out a blast email to all of their supporters asking them to sign a petition demanding that the Department of Justice open a special investigation into the spy charge in the, in the, uh, in the Trump campaign. So they're making a big, big political campaign. Sign a petition, demand the Justice Department Open this, uh, open this special uh, investigation. Uh, by the way, you know, he does make sense every once in a while, you have to admit. Uh, Chris Christie, former U.S. attorney, so he knows what he's talking about when he gets into this, uh, in, into this area. Uh, and he had a little advice for Donald Trump yesterday. I've told him many times that there's no way to make an investigation like this shorter, but there's lots of ways to make it longer. <laughs> That's good advice. That is good advice. And you know what? Donald Trump is making it yeah. longer and longer and longer. Well, it's like, like, it's like you've said all many these times. Games. How many people, even Trey Gowdy, right, who said, look, if you're innocent, just ignore this thing. Let right. it play it. Let it, let it. If you don't have anything to worry about, let it play itself out, it's which a, it will. It's also one of those things that, you, that you've said many times. If he had just not fired James Comey, Imagine how much different the news would be today, right? Like, that's just who Trump is, though. If he had not fired James Comey, this thing would have been over. Done. And James Comey would have given him a good report. Yes. That's absolutely true. Yeah. He might have said, like he did with Hillary, a little sloppy around the edges here, dude. Sure. But nothing illegal. And it would have been all over. Yep. Yep. I'm telling you, because we know Comey. Uh, the uh, New York Times, final on this point, has a blistering editorial today. Trump versus the Department of Justice. But they start out, and this is so true, I'd forgotten about this. As the old saying goes, if the facts are against you, you argue the law. If the law is against you, you argue the facts. But if both the facts and the law are against you, you pound the table <laughs> and yell. Exactly, exactly what the Trump White House is. Is that from the art of the deal? (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly what the Trump White House is doing. The facts are against them. The law is against them. 
And so they are pounding the table and doing anything they can to undermine the Department of Justice and undermine the FBI and the special counsel, including, oh, there was a mole in our campaign. There was a spy uh, in Trump Tower. Uh, and the, and the, uh, the, the, the editorial goes on, but it closes also with a very powerful note, I think. Quote, one does not have to agree with the particulars of every investigation to see the fundamental differences here. The members of our law enforcement and intelligence communities are trying to protect the country. Donald Trump and his supporters are simply trying to protect Donald Trump. And that's what he sees the Justice Department as a little cadre of his personal lawyers to protect him. No. That's what Rudy Giuliani is there for. That's what... Is Ty Cobb still there? He is no longer with us. I oh, mean, he's okay. still alive, but he left the... He left the I mean, uh, you know, the, yeah, this is such a round table, revolving door <laughs> of attorneys there. Track. But th- those are the guys, that little team he's got around him, Rudy and other... That, that's Jay Seculo. I know he's still there, right? That's, that's what they're for. That's not what the Department of Justice exists for, uh, no matter what Donald Trump thinks. Uh, meanwhile, um, got a question? Just give Donald Trump a call. He'll probably, he might call you back. That's the other story of the day. Uh, this is Peter and I, maybe our favorite story. It turns out that so, um, Trump ref- is refusing to do what most presidents have done and what the Secret Service recommends that the president should do, which is make sure that he's only calling from a secure phone. Uh, Apparently, I was reading the stories this morning, Donald Trump has two phones. He has two iPhones. One of them is just for making calls, and the other one is just for tweeting. Um, neither Neither one of them are secure phones. So they're really, um, like your phone and mine are, uh, open to hacking, open to surveillance, open to God knows you know who's following where we are, who we're talking to, what we're talking about. Um, usually you don't want the president of the United States to be so exposed. So about the, the, the Hill reports this this morning, as does Politico, um, there, uh, the you know the security people at the White House Secret Service said, "No, Mr. President, we need to get you a different phone." He says, "No, I can't be bothered with that. It's too much of a pain." Well, then, every month or so, we need to take your phone and see if anything has happened to it, and then maybe give you a new phone. Right? No, no, no. That's too inconvenient. So he's gone months and months and months using an insecure, unsecured phone, and not taking the time or allowing them to take the time to check the phone. Now, we don't know that anything has been hacked yet, but God knows where that could lead, right? I'm old enough to remember. It's a little shaky. I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama oh. became president. Oh. oh, And he had, he was a proud BlackBerry oh, user. Remember the Black, oh God, And yeah. they had to like supercharge his BlackBerry because they took his BlackBerry and they put all sorts of extra security measures on his phone. He had a one-of-a-kind BlackBerry. And yeah, yeah. because people were saying, like, yeah, it's it's nice that there's a president that likes to have that on his hip, right, that's able to check his email and all this type of stuff. 
But you can't just do it without any kind of checks and mm. kind of security. Mm-mm. So they had right. to put his phone through a whole thing. And it doesn't sound like Donald Trump is interested I, in doing that. I, I remember the briefings. It was weeks we talked about his BlackBerry. <laughs> uh, you know, remember when, when, that, when we had the bandwidth to get outraged about that kind of stuff? No, 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 yeah. Right in the beginning of the administration, the question was, was he going to give up his BlackBerry? Would he take an iPhone? And what were they doing about it to make sure it was secure and the whole thing? And Donald Trump says, I can't, I can't be bothered. Too inconvenient. Yeah, too inconvenient. Well, the last thing you could, the last thing you know he would do is surrender his Twitter phone. Not going to happen. Right. Although, there's and a fascinating story today in the Boston Globe about the people who tweet for Trump, right? Mm-hmm. There are people who tweet right. as Trump on his well, Twitter Well, you can account. tell which ones are... Well, the Globe actually reports that staffers will write up draft tweets to submit to Donald Trump in hopes that he'll like use them in his voice or that they'll be able to tweet for him. And one of the things that one of the people said is that they purposely, intentionally put in typos and spelling errors so that it looks like an actual Donald Trump tweet. Because that's how we can usually tell. There's the yeah. weird capitalization. Yeah. Right. And there's also the misspellings. That's how you yeah. can tell if it's a Trump tweet or Dan Scavino tweet. They're actually littering them with intentional misspellings <laughs> so that they right. look like Trump tweets. So they look like Trump tweets. He won't notice it. No. No. So uh, was it a staffer or Trump who called his wife Melanie? That's a good point. That's a very, very good point. Does he know her name? Or was it? <laughs> that's a, that's that was over the weekend point. when he welcomed her home. Yes, it's nice to have Melanie back. <laughs> Welcome home, Melanie. And Melania says, who the hell is Melanie? <laughs> uh, Could be a lot of people. <laughs> Maybe she's friends with Stormy Daniels. Uh, indeed. Yeah, uh, about the wall. Donald Trump was speaking out yesterday, by the way. he uh, White House announcing. Uh, you may recall. Earlier in the year, when he proposed his budget for this year, he said he wanted uh, $1.6 billion uh, toward building the wall. The uh, total cost of the wall is estimated at $25 billion. It'll be more than that. Uh, Donald Trump asked Congress for $1.6 billion. Uh, yesterday, they announced he is upping uh, the request for the wall from $1.6 billion to $2.2 billion. Uh, but don't wall. worry. Mexico's going to pay for it. Yeah. You know, you know what's amazing? They don't even pretend that anymore. Don't, I mean, it was never going to happen. We all knew it was just pure, again, BS. But at least that was there. Some way, somehow, may not be just writing a check, but Mexico, that, that's what they started saying. Somehow, Mexico was going to pay for it. Now they don't even pretend that. They just, they just dropped that and now... Uh, it is clearly going to be you and me who pay for uh, that wall, if it is ever built, which I don't think it will ever be built. All right, just getting started here again on this uh, Tuesday, May 22nd. Um, when we come back, good congressman from uh, Oregon's 3rd District, our good friend uh, Earl Blumenauer, will be joining us. And a little bit later, Alexi McCammon from Axios, as a friend of Bill and Jen Bendry here from uh, HuffPost. So give us a chance to take a quick break. We'll be back with uh, Congressman Blumenauer here on this Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are on this Tuesday, May 22nd, indeed. Uh, 
The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and joining you everywhere you are in this great land of ours. We're right there with you on your uh, iPad, on your desktop, or whatever, on YouTube, YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, or on your iPhone. We're there with you on the radio and on television as well, on Free Speech TV. And we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers. Yes, those great men and women are teachers of America who are showing such courage today uh, and such determination out there in Kentucky and Colorado and West Virginia and everywhere you look, uh, demanding um, better pay for themselves. Yes, but more importantly, better resources to take care of their kids and to buy them some new textbooks and some new desks and maybe put a roof on the, uh, fix the leaking roof on the school. Uh, Salute to teachers under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Uh, and uh, direct you to their website at aft.org. Uh, it is T-shirt day here at the uh, at the Bell Press Show. I've got mine, Enemy of the American People, and our guest, Congressman Errol Blumenauer from uh, from the state of Oregon, with a team red, white, and blue Menauer. <laughs> red, like white, it. and blue Menauer. I like it. I like it. Is that your campaign T-shirt? That's the office running. Uh, t-shirt, Ooh. which last week we won the cap challenge. Our team uh, no victorious kidding. again. Oh, uh, whoa. So we'll take victories where we can find them, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you must work them. You work them out and get ready for that race. Huh? Well, we do recruit based on their 10K times. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, a 10K right here in the district? In the Yes. Yeah. Cap All challenge. Right. Well, well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Is it just House or House and Senate? It is House, Senate, the judiciary, the media. Every year there are teams competing. Yeah, and uh, I understand Chuck Grassley used to have a pretty good team, no? Or, uh, or he, 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 he was a runner, or maybe yeah. still is. Yeah. Dick Luger ran it for like 30 consecutive years. Did he really? Yeah. It's a, it's a fun event. Right. Oh. Yeah, I think Grassley for a while used to run, maybe still does, to the office every day, the Senate office. Takes a shower and then... Hit the Senate street. Judiciary. Yep. Yep. Yeah, right. Uh, we've been uh, here for a little bit this morning, uh, Congressman, uh, generating a little, a few comments here. Peter? We're on Twitter at BP Show. Before at we get BP into the things Show. we want to talk to you about. Yes. Uh, KG Wang in saying, Bill, you're rocking that shirt. Looking uh, good. All yes, right. your enemy of the people shirt. Looking great. Uh, on Donald Trump and his uh, phone saying it's too inconvenient. Uh, Resistant Stevie says, even if Trump's phone was hacked, there would be nothing on it on it except for the ravings of a lunatic. <laughs> he conducts no business there on that phone, so it doesn't really sound like it's a, uh, a, problem, a real huh? compromising uh, oh, uh, position. Uh, Susan says, I've been up since oh dark 30 in California listening to my favorite enemy of the people, mm. Bill Press, of course, uh, in reference to your shirt. And, uh, special special shout out, Congressman Wright, to our friends on the West Coast who are up early watching really you dedicated. and me and listening. Yeah, that's that that our uh, people. That, our people. Our right. people. And our one people. final one final comment from Walter Ogden, who says uh, Donald Trump and the rule of law stated together. Talk about an oxymoron. <laughs> if you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP Show. You know, um, I know we were, this is not something we planned to talk about, but I have to ask you again. Um, there's so much talk about the, uh, the the sanctity of our election system these days as we come up to 2018. Oregon has done it by mail. 
exclusively by mail. I forget for how long 20 now. 20 years. 20 years. And working, not working? Well, first of all, we don't have to worry about hanging Chad. <laughs> right. Uh, second, there's an opportunity that because the election day is 440 hours long, there's an opportunity for people to process and be able to get information late breaking or early. Uh, it is less expensive uh, than maintaining individual polling places. Really? So it's, really? Yeah. It's, it, so people can devote their resources to election administration. Do they pay for their own stamps? Or yep. Are they- yep. It's not a... a no, a, you... You, uh, you, you have uh, to put a stamp you on. put a stamp on yourself. Yeah, okay. Uh, relatively which small is, price to pay, yeah. which is probably less than it would cost for gasoline for to gasoline. drive to a polling place. Sure. Uh, you do it in, in the comfort of your own home. And uh, it is secure. There is a record that you can go back and trace if there's any question about the election outcome. Uh, unlike what's happening, as you know, with 3,000 different election systems around the country, county by county, mm-hmm. some administered by partisan uh, officials, uh, this is pretty secure, pretty safe, efficient, uh, and we like it. Yeah. Oh, I, I hope more. Have any other states? Well, more and more states are moving are, in this direction. Yeah. Some have permanent absentee mm-hmm. uh, systems, but people recognize that uh, the mail-in ballot uh, is secure, it's convenient. Uh, and less uh, expensive. Right. Uh, we take advantage of the permanent absent. Carol and I do the permanent absentee here in uh, in California right. in order to continue to yep. vote uh, in California. In fact, I have my ballot at home that I've been been working through. There's several initiatives <laughs> I don't really quite un- understand. Uh, boy, a California a... tradition, <laughs> <laughs> which we gave you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Oregon's or Oregonians are also always complaining about. Californians moving north, right? So we'll take some ideas moving south from uh, from from uh, Oregon. Uh, Congressman, you've been active on many fronts. Um, this is National Bike Month, which I know is a big has a big issue for you, and you've made a big difference. These bike paths down Pennsylvania that's, Avenue here in Washington D.C. Earl Blumenauer, they ought to have your name on them, right? <laughs> uh, more and more, I see more and more people riding bikes to work here. Is that true across the country? It it is true across the country. There is an effort in cities large and small to be able to uh, (laughs) enable people to burn calories instead of fossil fuel. Uh, There are uh, amazing things that have been going on. For example, even in Los Angeles, uh, New York City, Uh, we're very proud of what we've done in Portland, but uh, where you have bike share, Mm -hmm. uh, where you're seeing electric bikes. I mean, there's a revolution taking place. Uh, hopefully we can continue making it safe and secure for our kids. Um, and it adds a component to livability, which is so important uh, in our communities. It, it seems to be that there are more and more innovations, as you point out. So we started with these bike shares, which were a, a huge thing and very successful here in Washington and other cities. And now in, in, in Washington, you have these just these bikes. That, you don't have to go to a bike right, share the spot. They're just bikes. bikes. Yep. Yep. What do you call them? A dockless bike. Dockless just, bikes. Yeah, yeah, leave the bike wherever yeah. you are. And, yeah. well, that's part and of, they're brightly colored. Yeah. You can spot them and people find them. And well, it's part of an effort to give and, people more choices. Uh, the dockless bikes, bike share. And now the electric or the electric, electric bikes, bikes are taking yeah. off. There was a great experiment in San Francisco this last month uh, where uh, they introduce uh, bike share with e-bikes, electric bikes that have been uh, phenomenally popular. But we're seeing... 
car share. We're seeing car to go. We're seeing yeah, right. opportunities to give people more choices uh, to make the transportation experience seamless and not have somebody captive to their own vehicle that uh, that doesn't move uh, 22 and a half hours a day. It's extraordinarily expensive. These are cheaper, more convenient, and less damaging to the environment. Yeah, I have several friends who use car to go, and you see these little yep. cars to go all over Washington now, right? Yep. All uh, over the country. They use up like maybe half a spa- parking spot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's there when you want it. And there, Yeah, there when you want it. Um, the other thing that um, you've been way out in front on, I want to get to the Farm Bill in just a second, but first of all, um, you are a member of the uh, Pot Caucus in the United States Capitol. <laughs> cannabis Caucus. Cannabis, yes, I'm sir. sorry. I knew it yes, wasn't sir. marijuana, but Cannabis Caucus. Uh, any progress on that front? I mean, uh, Absolutely. When we, uh, started, uh, we uh, started moving uh, aggressively in the course of the last six months, exploded. Now, I first voted to decriminalize leg- uh, marijuana when Oregon was the first state to decriminalize in 1973. So I've been doing this really? for that, decades. Whoa. But we ran into uh, the Nixon war on drugs, uh, the Reagan just say no. We had, a 20, we had 20 years in the wilderness mm-hmm. of repression, uh, unequal application of the law, especially against African-American young men. Uh, but California helped us get started again in 1996 with the initiative on medical marijuana. And since then, we now have 30 states that have approved adult use, 29 by a vote of the people. It's on the ballot again in uh, Michigan, Minnesota. Utah is going <laughs> to vote on medical. Yeah. Uh, this is a huge issue that's cresting. And I predict, uh, especially if the Democrats take control of the House, that this will be all over in a couple of years, that the politicians will finally catch up with where the people are, demanding (laughs) that we end this failed prohibition on Uh, marijuana. And so that that end result, you you see, would be the um, legalization of the recreational use of marijuana? What I think it means is, first of all, uh, and will happen quickly, will enable these state legal businesses to have bank accounts which it's very right. difficult for them to have. E- even in states that have legalized now, right? Tax yeah. them fairly. They can't deduct their business expenses. Outrageous. The federal government stops research on cannabis. Uh, but I think the barriers will fall. We will enable our veterans uh, in the Veterans Administration to have access to medical marijuana, which can be transformative. And I think within the next two or three years, it won't be listed at all as a controlled substance. Right. And it still is now... Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's a Schedule One, schedule one control right. substance, the same as heroin and LSD. But you said for 20 years you were in the wilderness, and we came out of the wilderness, and you're right, and more and more states are moving in this direction. But then you've got Jeff Sessions, who's a real retrograde on this issue, Absolutely. who wants to go back to— Absolutely. Uh, e- but it's interesting— Even that, going after Oregon and Colorado and other states. But there's so much public support. Surveys show that about almost two-thirds of the adult population favors— uh, the use, uh, adult use of marijuana, uh, medical marijuana is off the charts. It's uh, it's like the 4th of July, my pollster told me. Um, <laughs> and there was such a backlash, especially when Trump had stated uh, in an interview in Colorado in October of 2016 that the states could go their own way, that even Trump was forced to clarify. Um, and frankly, if he, uh, he sessions 
uh, cracks down. I think that will accelerate the progress even faster because oh, really? the yeah, American public will. aren't going to stand for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was checking here and I can't find it, but I did read this morning that Mayor de Blasio in New York has ordered the police to stop arresting people for smoking pot on the street. Well, it is. And, and, and so far as I know, recreational use of marijuana is not legal in New York State. It, it is not legal in New York <laughs> so State. But as a practical matter, what they found is that they were still arresting thousands of people a month for something that most people now think should be legal, and the arrests were wildly disproportionate. 83% were people of color, mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. so outrageous. Uh, that no, I saw that. It was that eight the, to one. Yeah, the, eight, right, yeah. The prosecutors there have backed down. They're not going to prosecute. Um, even uh, uh, Cynthia Nixon uh, torturing Cuomo uh, to uh, come out in favor of uh, legalization. I think New York is going to be one of the next states to fall. Yeah. Well, good work. You've been pushing that and <laughs> working in the wilderness for a long time, and it's finally, it's finally paying off. And I think people are seeing this. I still, I heard someone again the other day say how appalled she was that this was moving because it's such it's it's, a, it's the gateway drug some people still call it the gateway drug never oh, proven true right? it's not true it is not true at all in fact having a vast black market makes it more likely that uh, particularly young people will be introduced to something else mm -hmm. because no corner drug dealer checks ID and is more likely yeah. to say well kid you like this I've got something so we want to regulate it tax it, and move on. Congressman Earl Blumenauer representing Oregon's third congressional district. Everybody thought that it was a done deal. We were going to have a big, one big bipartisan farm deal, and suddenly last week uh, the Freedom Caucus rises up and kills it. What happened? How Was it a good bill to start oh, it with? It was a terrible bill. All right. You know, the so, farm bill, and we've talked a little bit about yeah, this because right. you, you know well, coming from California, uh, the, the, the farm bill is the most important bill that nobody pays any attention to. Mm -hmm. It will be the most important <coughs> health bill that will be considered by this Congress. We're still subsidizing really? yeah. a diet that makes Americans sick. It's the most important environmental bill. The the carbon emissions from the agricultural sector, hmm. the problems with uh, water pollution, air pollution. Um, and I've been having a lot of fun the last uh, three years uh, looking at what a farm bill would look like for the rest of us, not a handful of states hmm. producing a handful of commodity products. California and Oregon are cheated by the farm bill. We produce food, uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, berries, uh, wine. Um, and it is ill-served by the Farm Bill. Uh, I've been, um, I put in your hands a little yeah, guide. Uh, we call it the okay. Fight for Food. Fight for Food. Which is available at earlblumenauer.com, where my campaign published it, because it's an advocacy notebook, how to make a better Farm Bill and, and why. And what a Farm Bill should, should look be. like and what it should, should contain. Yeah. Um, well, this was a fascinating dynamic. The Republicans in determined that they were going to continue their war on poor people by cranking down on nutrition assistance, make it more bureaucratic, work requirements, and basically hound people off. It was so bad that it united all the Democrats <laughs> on the Ag Committee, uh, and every single Democrat voted against it, and there was a split. Part of it was uh, seven people in the Freedom Caucus voted no, mm -hmm. but there were also some moderates 
that voted no, in part because of their dissatisfaction with what was happening on immigration. And some of them, I think their conscience was troubled by what they would do to poor people in nutrition. So there was enough votes to sink it. Um, and it is a terrible bill. Uh, one provision that uh, has gotten almost no attention is the so-called King Amendment, which would prohibit Steve King, Steve King, our <laughs> our favorite, yeah. uh, calves the size of watermelons. Um, <laughs> he had an amendment that would have essentially stripped away the opportunity for states to protect consumer, animal welfare, and environmental standards that were more strict than any other states. Uh, it, it would have just taken out uh, issues that are important. You know, states it, want to protect their fisheries, yeah. their f- different fishing license requirements, not under this bill. Um, so it crashed and burned. We'll see what happens. But it's interesting that this, that you, you don't, I ha- certainly have never have thought of the farm bill with all these dimensions that you just pointed out. Maybe the most important public health bill environmental yep. bill, if we yep. go down the list, right? All Absolutely. contained under the aegis yep. of uh, a farm bill, right? The Department of Agriculture is the only department in the federal government that can build a community from the ground up. There's housing, there's utilities, there's uh, all sorts of programs, uh, large and small, um, but they don't get scrutinized, and they tend to be tailored to special interests that take advantage of it. The famous nutrition professor at NYU, Marilyn Nussel, wrote an essay, it was in Politico a couple years ago, called The Farm Bill Drove Me Crazy. <laughs> and she concluded when she was, she realized she didn't really fully understand it, so she was going to do whatever professor would do to learn something. She's going to teach a graduate course in it. And halfway through, she realized it was hopelessly complex that it was designed for special interests who understood their provision yeah, for right. crop insurance, for some bizarre subsidy for sugar. Or I was going to ask you about the subsidies that yeah. continue to exist that we, again, most yeah. of us don't know about. Dairy subsidies, sugar subsidies? It's, it's very it, it, elaborate. It's very elaborate. In fact, the direct payments were eliminated in the last Congress. It's supposed to be a re, uh, reform, but it was replaced by an insurance program that was even more expensive. The crop insurance is, is heavily subsidized, tightly controlled by a handful of, in some instances, forest, foreign interests, and it's possible for farmers to plant crops they know will fail mm-hmm. because of the way that it is tailored. Um, and of course, with interacting with the new uh, tax bill and their version of the farm bill would increase subsidies and those who'd qualify, there'll be all sorts of subsidy checks that are going to go to San Francisco, to Chicago, to New York, people who don't have any connection to the farm. Hmm. Yet there isn't enough money for nutrition. There's not enough money for environmental programs for ordinary farmers and ranchers who want to be good stewards. It's an outrage. This uh, Are we still subsidizing... Um, unhealthy foods? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I mentioned that essay. Uh, uh, Mary Nestle mm-hmm. had a very right. vivid uh, example that if we had the American diet based on what we subsidize, <laughs> the typical meal would be one huge corn fritter because 78% is for corn and soy. You would have a, a hamburger the size of a half dollar you would have a cup of milk, and you'd have three peas. Uh, 
but you would have a great big linen napkin because 13% of the subsidies goes to cotton. What, under the farm bill? Yep. Um, That is amazing. People, you know what? The ignorance about the farm bill among the American people. Well, that's that's why we published profound. That's why we published this illustrated guide. Yeah. The fight for food. Earlblumenauer.com. You can pick one up, right? Yeah. And and to be able to explain to people in in more simple terms what's at stake and what they can do about it. Uh, But. You know, I would invite what? people to look at what at that monstrosity that the Republicans offered up, cutting environmental, cutting money for farmers markets, one of the most popular programs oh, yeah. in the yeah. country. Yeah, they've just Give taken me a off. Break. I mean, right. Uh, this was also a priority for Paul Ryan, right? I mean, he his fingerprints <laughs> run it. So, uh, just as an aside, what does it mean now about this lame duck's ability to deliver? Well, you know, he can't even fire the chaplain. Uh, you know, going out with the bang. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, I saw a great cartoon uh, <laughs> with uh, Father Conroy and Paul Ryan, and uh, Ryan saying, it's all right, Padre, we already sold our soul. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, that was an embarrassing moment, wasn't well, it? I mean, but Paul and used to be supporting uh, farm reform. In fact, we offered up amendments in the past to cut back on unjustified farm subsidies. Mm-hmm. Yet his agriculture committee is coming up with a bill that it explodes the subsidies, allows more people unrelated to farm to collect it, does not rein in the expensive crop insurance, which is a wild benefit for some, and doesn't benefit most farmers and ranchers. Uh, I, I don't know if he sold his soul, but he certainly gave up on farm reform. Right, yeah. Uh, but and, and clearly showed that he um, his ability to deliver, um, given his present status, I guess, has uh, suffered mm-hmm. at any rate. Right. Uh, you've also been active out there, uh, we t- talked a little bit before, with the Department of Defense, getting a big, pretty big, um, um, what, I wouldn't say favor, but um, you, you've backed them down on, on well, there have been efforts, providing some information. There's been efforts in the past uh, to try and at least have dis- transparency. I am appalled that at a time when we're not adequately taking care of our veterans and when part of the military is hollowed out, and we get examples of this all the time, we're committed to $1.2 trillion of more investment in new nuclear weapons in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we've tried to do, um, and this is something that's, that's bipartisan. For example, I've had an amendment with Representative uh, Norman from South Carolina, uh, who took uh, Mick Mulvaney's spot? Oh yeah, yeah. For an amendment to uh, have transparency on the cost of the B twenty one bomber. This is the new this bomber. This is the new that's, right. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. going to replace stealth the, bomber. The B one, B two. It's stealth. Uh, well, it's stealth. <laughs> Is the price tag? <laughs> uh, we saw in the B two. Did you that, ferret it out? Are you? <laughs> well, we have an amendment that will be uh, considered uh, this uh-huh. week uh, on the defense authorization um, that would require the American people to know the price tag, and more important, that's, for Congress to pay attention. Yeah, I mean that's only fair, right? We got to know. You'd think. You would think, right? What these of these things. Um, have we known in the past 
Well, we, it's been very hard to get good estimates on weapons systems. Uh, they're notoriously inaccurate. Um, there was uh, a uh, uh, an article this last uh, week about the Nimitz class, you know, the new uh, ship that is uh, wildly uh, been wildly over budget. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be several years away. It's not operational yet. Um, uh, and and we've and and, and and I will just say that um, Mac Thornberry, to his credit, uh, who's uh, the lead uh, Republican. I've got to interrupt oh. you there because you can hear that music. That just means we are run out of oh. time. Yeah, indeed. But Never you know, look time. from bikes <laughs> to pot to defense to the farm bill. Earl Blumenauer is on top of it. EarlBlumenauer.com. Get your copy of this little booklet. Thank this you, Congressman. Is Thanks, the Bill, bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. A spy in Trump Tower, a spy in the White House. Donald Trump, he sees spies everywhere. And he demands a Justice Department investigate. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we are. It is The Bill Press Show. Uh, that's me, Bill Press, otherwise known as an enemy of the American people. And uh, proud of it. As my T-shirt proclaims uh, today, uh, it's good to be with you, and it's good to have you with us. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. We know, as they say on the airlines, you've got a lot of choices, but the fact that you make the Bill Press Show your morning diet here to, to find out the news of the day uh, uh, from a progressive point of view, for sure. Um, we appreciate your being with us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On the radio, on the great WCPT out in the Chicago area, uh, and of course uh, also on television on Free Speech TV. Uh, lots and lots to talk about and lots to cover uh, with the help of a good friend. Here is a friend of Bill for this hour, Lexi McCammon, political reporter from the great Axios. Hi, Lexi. Nice Hi. to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. These are busy. We live in interesting times, it's to say the least. It's huh? going to be a very busy day today um, and very interesting times. But just keeping up with the stuff that, like, popped up over the weekend at the end yeah. of last week, you know. Yeah, you today is one of those days where it sort of feels like a whirlwind mm -hmm. of things are happening and you have to keep everything straight and there are new meetings and developments and investigations popping up and it's like, how do I keep it all straight? I know. But uh, like, Lots of uh, let me tell you one quick <laughs> example. Mike Pompeo gives his first major speech as Secretary of State yesterday. I haven't had a chance yet to catch up with what he said. Supposedly it was Plan B on the Iran nuclear deal. Right. But there was so much else going on. You right. know, I never got around to that. So we've got lots to talk about, and we want to hear from you, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Alexi and I will be joined by Jen Bendry from, from HuffPost a little bit later. 
And we'll jump into the news of the day with you, but first... This is okay. the Full Court Press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to the sports desk for a couple of big stories. Last night, the NBA playoffs continued. The Cleveland Cavaliers needed a win against the Boston Celtics, and that is exactly what they got. 111-102 to is the final score there in Game 4, which means that series is now tied after the Ooh. Celtics jumped out to a 2 to nothing lead of course it's best of seven series so uh it's still anybody's game the rockets and the warriors pick up their series this evening at nine o'clock p.m eastern time golden state is currently ahead two games to one meanwhile we go to the nhl i know you're very invested in the washington capitals well we all are but boy last night was a must win game for the washington capitals and that's exactly what they did. They won three to nothing, which All means right. they tied so the now series. Now we're up to three to two. No, three, three to three. Oh, it is three, three to three. Yeah, so it right. goes to a crucial game seven, <laughs> winner take all. Winner goes on to the Stanley Cup Finals between the Washington Capitals and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Washington winning last night three to nothing, which means tomorrow night at eight o'clock, it's do or die time. For the cup, right? I mean, well, this puts them into the fi- if they oh win. God, these finals just go on. Oh, they're playoffs. There's several different I, rounds I you got to get through. Okay. So if they win this round, then they do. Then get they the get. Finals. Then they play the Las Vegas Golden Knights okay. for the Stanley Cup. Will it happen? Stay tuned. We'll know uh, Thursday morning. Again, I predict that the playoffs will end by September one. <laughs> All the ice but, will be melted. <laughs> yeah. If. Rudy yeah. Giuliani and I were <laughs> September 1 is our deadline for everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. And finally, uh, if you filled up your car recently, you probably noticed the gas prices are a little bit higher. In fact, oh, stop whining. I'm not whining, but I do oh, want to point. I do want to point out. Last year, a guy in uh, Los Angeles says he paid three dollars a gallon for gas. Now it's three dollars seventy-five cents. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because Donald Trump imposed sanctions on an oil-rich Iran. And he pulled out of the nuclear weapons agreement with the country, which means our gas is getting more expensive because of that. So whenever you hear somebody complaining about the price of gas, now you know why. <laughs> blame it on Donald Trump. Blame it, yeah, blame it on Donald Trump. There you go. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Tuesday, Tuesday, tomorrow, May, May, not March, May, May 22nd. Hello, everybody. Great to see you. It is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, and thank you so much uh, for joining us on a very busy news day, a very busy news week. They all are uh, under Donald Trump. Uh, I spoke to a group of um, uh, journalists and lawyers yesterday, uh, last evening at the uh, Library of Congress, uh, and as I pointed out, um, we were there representing the two professions that have uh, benefited the most, perhaps, from Donald Trump's presidency, journalists and lawyers. But, of course, the big difference is he hates us and he loves them. He he must hate us, hates us because he calls us the enemy of the American people, which is what my T-shirt says today. And he must love lawyers because he hires so many of them, right? <laughs> uh, with us today, here uh, this hour, is a friend of Bill Alexa McCammond from uh, Axios, covering all things political for Axios. Hi, Alexi. It's good to Hi. see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, we're we're in the throes of um, the midterms, really. Yes. Right. 
most of the primaries are over. We're getting into it. Um, and people, I, I, I've, this week, people are asking me, are Democrats really nervous because the polls show that the generic, would you rather have Republicans or Democrats in charge of Congress? A couple of weeks ago, Democrats led it by maybe double digits. Now it's a little closer. Right. Is this a reason for concern? And why is this happening? Well, I think that it's certainly something that makes Democrats a little worried, right? Having a double-digit lead previously, as you just mentioned, made them feel much more comfortable in their chances <laughs> to take over the House in November. Now, do you know what it's down to now? Six? Six? Seven? Four, five, six? I don't know. But it's not double-digits. It's not double-digits. Um, when we say double-digits, it, was, it wasn't like 40 or 50. It was right, like, it was like 12, yeah, right? Yeah, 13, yeah. 14, something yeah, like that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think there are a number of things that are contributing to this. Um, one is certainly the polls that show that overwhelmingly Americans think the economy is better now than it was, you know, before Donald Trump. And that is something that people that like really makes the people who voted for Trump happy. Right. It's something that they voted on him hoping he would do. They thought he was a businessman who would come in and, you know, renew the economy in various ways. They are happy with the way that they think. Things are moving um, under President Trump for the economy, and I think that's making them trust Trump and Republicans under Trump more. Um, that said, the congressional ballot advantage is not the only factor, obviously, as we both know, that could help Democrats or hurt Democrats. We've seen um, unprecedented number of voters coming out for Democrats in elections. Even in the few primaries we've had this month alone, when you look at the number of votes cast for Democrats compared to Republicans in these primaries, Democrats are almost always outnumbering the number of Republicans who are coming out to vote. And I think that's something that they really have on their side moving mm -hmm. forward. Um, right. And this just this enthusiasm we see, not only in special elections, but especially in these primaries on you know random Tuesdays throughout the month. I think that's something that Democrats are really hoping will continue through November. Right. And they've been historic turnouts, even for Democrats. The Democrats have never brought out that many people, which does, as you mentioned, where the, you know, the energy and the enthusiasm uh, definitely on right. that side. But the other thing, in, 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 in the midst of this special investigation and all the Stormy Daniels stuff and everything, Donald Trump's numbers have gone up. They have. Go figure, right? It, yeah, and it's it's a little fascinating. I think it, again, goes back to this economy thing, though I hesitate to say that that's the only factor that's contributing to his rising approval numbers. Um, the thing about the special counsel investigation or Stormy Daniels is that we're here in Washington and like we are following it closely. So we know the minutia of those situations and we are invested and we care and we're reporting on it. I'm not saying that the average American doesn't care about those things, but I don't know that it's necessarily moving the needle for them in the way that maybe we would expect, given how much we know about what's going on and how much there is yet to be revealed, I guess, one way or the other. And the I don't know if damaging is the right word, but the most interesting thing now is seeing how the president continues to politicize this, which is just inevitably setting up a situation where people who are not here following it closely and who love Trump will believe that it is this highly um, politicized, controversial witch hunt against him. And no matter what Bob Mueller's reports say at the end of the day, they likely won't believe it because they've already probably decided or will decide based on the president's words that this is just politically biased against him. It is a Democrat versus Republican thing. How could they vote for a Democrat as the Democrats are leading right. this investigation? I don't think him? there's any doubt that for the Trump base, 
the more Mueller goes after him or anybody else, the more they will flock behind Donald Trump. And remember, Bill Clinton's numbers were never so high as they were during the Monica Lewinsky investigation. Isn't it amazing how that works out? I don't think I, I don't think that would work out for me in my life. I think if I did something scandalous, like people would not want, you know, would not approve of me. But for some reason, only the president. So the Democrats uh, in the middle of this, they are looking for a message, right? It's, yeah. And the message is not just yep. uh, I'm not Donald Trump or right. I'm not a, a Trump supporter. Um, one thing I've read that they were thinking of bringing back uh, echoes of the past um, culture of corruption. Yes. I remember that was back in the Newt Gingrich days. I yes. think they yeah. used that. Nancy Pelosi used yes, that again. Yes, in two thousand six, and it worked. Yes. They got the power back. Right. right, and so that's. Is there as much corruption these days? <laughs> and I mean, can they make that claim? And are they making that claim? You know, I think that they certainly have ample. Uh, information to make that claim. If you take any number of cabinet <laughs> officials or administration officials under President Trump, um, yesterday when the Democrats were out in front of the Capitol building unveiling this new plank of their A Better Deal platform, which is focusing on corruption, as you mentioned, they mentioned a number of people under Trump, Mick Mulvaney, Scott Pruitt, Ben Carson, um, even various um, Republican and even a Democratic lawmaker. Um, Tom Price. And, right, yeah, exactly. On and on. The right, misuse yeah. of taxpayer funds and things like that. Um, the idea that lobbyists and special interests have had outsized influence on the president and those under him without having consequences or without being able or without having to properly disclose what they are investing and what they are getting for these deals. Um, so I think that that's something that they certainly can make the argument for. Um, I think it is a smarter message than, as you said, just being anti-Trump, right? Just coming out and saying, we are Democrats, therefore we do not like the president. We are everything that is the opposite of him and we will do everything to fight him in any way we can. This is a more nuanced message that I think, or I guess I would like, hope uh worked for most people right it's like this idea of corruption political corruption coming from the highest person in the country right the president on down is something that we as americans should not stand for is my understanding of what the democrats are pushing for their message right i should say though there is certain there's plenty uh ammunition which makes you wonder um why scott pruitt is still there um it's kind of fascinating how not only this news cycle works and who catches fire in the coverage, but also who catches the wrath of the president. And I think part of the reason Scott Pruitt has stayed along, and you know this as well as I do, that, and I think the last time I was on we were talking about Scott Pruitt, but um, which was a while ago when it first broke, but is that the president likes him. And I think the president can um, empathize with him and say that the liberal media is out to get you. They, if, when it's, if it's not you, it'll he just be someone else. He likes certainly what he's doing. Right. At EPA. Well, exactly, because he is moving forward on his most controversial, um, you know, policy standpoints regarding the environment and like removing um, websites from the EPA website and like, you know, critical information and data about climate change and rolling back Obama era regulations that the president, you know, he loves rolling back Obama era regulations <laughs> and Scott Pruitt will do that for him happily. And so I think they have this relationship that has allowed Scott Pruitt to stick around longer than other cabinet officials might. Right. Um, how much time, I, I, saw, I think it was your article about Mitch McConnell is thinking of keeping yeah. Congress in session? In August. Oh, get out. I'll yeah, so that. their summer recess is scheduled to be four weeks long in August. He could decide to cancel the entire four-week recess in August or just part of it. Why so, would he? 
Uh, well, because he is being criticized by Republicans for not getting enough done before then. And also Republicans and Trump are using this as an excuse to say Democrats have obstructed our cabinet nominees over and over again. If we have four weeks where we're not working in August, think of how many people we cannot confirm because of that. Therefore, we should stay in session. It is also politically motivated. August is two months before the midterm election in November, and there are 10 vulnerable Democratic senators who are up for re-election, who yeah. represent states that Trump won handily in 2016, mm -hmm. and missing out on potentially four weeks of campaigning and being back home and talking with their constituents would be, I would argue, detrimental for these Democratic senators hoping to be re-elected when they are already facing an uphill battle. At least five of them are already facing an uphill battle. And their Republican challengers will be free to campaign in the states because they are obviously not currently serving in Congress and therefore will not be stuck but, here. But haven't we seen this movie before where, you know, they threaten they're going to keep them here right. over Christmas. They're exactly. going to work over Christmas. They're going to work. Through the summer and months and everything. Right. And, then, and I think the most it's been is like a week, if anything, from yeah. leadership. And so, right, there's... You know why? Because I, I, I bet you, I bet you a lot of them have already made their plans. I'm, I'm <clears> certain <throat> of it, you yeah. know. Yeah, they got um, two things. Like, I also either think, a Codell or a family yeah. vacation, right. and they've got their tickets and... Right, and I yeah. think that given... That this was reported and is now out in the public, it might encourage McConnell to say we should work more efficiently between now and then instead of just putting things off until August and deciding that we have to stay here after all. Um, I don't think I think that that's something that would be perfectly reasonable for him to decide and something that wouldn't be that surprising. Uh, and by the way, I, I want to make a bold prediction here. Uh, they're going to go on their August recess. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel pretty confident in I saying think that's that. Pretty safe. Do you want <laughs> yeah. to go to the sports betting department and? Uh, can we bet on that? You can I don't really it. gamble much anymore, but I'd <laughs> bet on that. Well, that, that, that's a, uh, that uh, that is a uh, that's a pretty safe. Back um, to this question about some of them are concerned that they don't get anything done. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, Paul Ryan and, and Mitch McConnell haven't scheduled, won't schedule anything for a vote. Right. Uh, and right. and they have no plans to. Right. They could they could do something about. DACA, they wanted right, to. Right. Well, they, Paul they, Ryan definitely doesn't want to. They got the votes in the House for does, that but... if they put it on the floor. Everybody right. says that. Right. And it would get. They could get. They got an immigration bill out of the Senate before. Right. They could do that. They just don't want to do it. I right. mean, well, it looks like we've talked about this before so many times here on the show. Last year they had one major piece of mm -hmm. legislation, the tax cut bill. This year they've already had that one major piece, which is the budget bill. Right. Adding whatever ten or fifteen trillion to the deficit, but there is nothing. And we'll talk more with Jen Bendry, who covers the Congress for HuffPost, in the next half hour. But there's nothing pending right now, whether it's climate change or immigration reform, or DACA. Mm -hmm. I mean, or you name it. Right. There well, is no major legislation that they're debating, discussing, right. amending, or planning on vote to vote on. Right. Well, and I think it was the Associated Press a couple of months ago, like pretty soon after the new year that reported like Congress is basically done legislating for the remainder of for the, the remainder year. Of the term. And everyone was yeah. like, wait, what? What? It's January. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. So that was like a clear signal of how this year was going to go. And, you know, the other thing is that Paul Ryan is sort of now a lame duck speaker. He's leaving. There are rumors that they're trying to push him out before his term actually ends. 
he um, is apparently internally fighting with Kevin McCarthy about DACA and whether or not to bring that for a vote. Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans think that would hurt them politically for the midterms because it'll upset their base voters and depress <laughs> voters from coming out to vote for them. Um, there are just like a number of things. McConnell is stalling on the sexual harassment bill for the Capitol that passed the House mm. months mm. ago. And is he's just sitting on it. And that's clearly frustrating folks like Kirsten Gillibrand and other women in the Senate and men who have been behind this bill because it's it. The optics are not great, number one. And number two, it's sort of like, well, what's the excuse? Right. Like, why are you dragging your feet on these things that are important yeah, you would think something like that. The Republican senators would say, you know, let's pass this so right. we can show we're doing something internally to right. respond to this. Right. Thinking of McConnell and midterms, I'm sure you saw yesterday, maybe not in the busyness of it all, that Don Blankenship is oh, deciding to run after yes, all as a yes. third party candidate. <laughs> yeah. I sent him a check, actually. Uh, I want him to run. No. So um, for everybody who may not be as up to speed, um, this was uh, Don Blankenship, um, the uh, convicted felon who spent his time in prison, uh, came out on probation. Uh, the former mine owner, uh, Massey, I think it was the name of his company, mm -hmm. who um, was convicted of violating uh, federal uh, mine safety standards uh, and explosion at his mine as a result of that, which re resulted in the death of 29 miners, mm -hmm. as I recall. Anyhow, Blankenship gets out of prison. And he runs for, in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate to run right. against Joe Manchin. Um, in West Virginia. M uh, Mitch McConnell uh, and the president both jumped into this race and said, whatever you do, don't vote for Don Blankenship because they were afraid he would be absolutely certain to lose to right. Joe Manchin. It was interesting. Trump didn't say which of the other two people yeah, should vote like, for. Yeah, he's like anyone but yeah, him, anyone basically. Anyone but Blank <laughs> Blankenship. So... I'll bring you up to date with uh, Alexia's talk about yesterday, Don Blankenship then, who lost, uh, blamed... Um, yeah, two weeks ago now. Two weeks ago, yeah. Blamed Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell for his loss and right. everything. Right. Uh, he's decided he is going to run as an independent, right. which is the last thing the Republicans want right. or need in West Virginia. I mean, he is just, uh, he, he's taking a page out of the crazy political playbook that we all are witnessing now, right? Like you mm -hmm. lose, you don't give up, you keep drawing attention to yourself, everything is a performance and has to be a spectacle. Even when the party is rejecting you, like we saw with Roy Moore, mm -hmm. to an extent you still keep going and moving forward in the hopes that oh, some yeah. miracle yeah. will happen. Yeah. And he's, a, I mean, without, uh, it's not a sexual scandal here, but he right. is in other respects, the Roy Moore of West exactly. Virginia. Yeah, yeah, people were referring to him as Roy Moore 2.0. You know, he's just a very problematic, controversial person. Republicans, again, high Republicans like Mitch McConnell and the president were saying, we do not want you, and here he is. I forget, I forget what percentage of the vote he got. Peter, you might check that. Um, it, but um, I think you know. I do think you remember around thirty, or maybe well, maybe not. Well, we'll Actually, find out here yeah. in a second. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, he, he has he, he he has enough support that right. he could throw the election for sure right. to Joe Manchin because he he'll, he'll take votes away from the Republican nominee yes. for Senate. Yes, I and, mean, and certainly he's got great not, name ID at this point. Whether uh, it's his weird ads right. or his controversial comments. Yeah. And he's determined to do it. Yeah. Uh, and he's doing it because he wants to get even 
Exactly. I think it really is. And, get you know, even with Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. Right. I think this feud between them started, too. And obviously, the president was public in his tweet, but on Don Blankenship's um, yard signs, he had a line at the bottom of the sign that like made it seem like it was endorsed by the president and I think Mike Pence, like, you know, endorsed. Right. I think it literally said endorsed by, and they called him and they were like, you have to take that off your yard signs. We never endorse your candidacy. So that started, you know, months ago at this point, and then yeah. it just continued. As he's determined know. he's going to get even with Cocaine Mitch. <laughs> yeah. Is that what he called him? Yeah, yes. Cocaine Mitch. I mean, it's yeah. just ridiculous. By the way, he got 20% of the vote. 20%. 20%. 20% of the vote. Okay. So, so not insignificant. No. Uh, I mean, not enough to win. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was it was a, a distant third, but right. 20% of the vote could absolutely, like, throw an election off. Right. What did Morrissey get? Remind me. I don't remember. I didn't oh. just look at But okay. in in <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Okay. In a in general election, if you got to look at Ralph Nader, right? Ralph Nader sure. a lot less than 20%, yeah. you know, and ended up electing George W. Bush or throwing it to the Supreme Court so right. that they could choose George W. Bush, right? Right. But um no, that's uh that that's the last thing the Republicans wanted to see. Right. right. And he's just not going away. Right. And that was the state one of the five senators mm-hmm. that uh, Democrats had to hold on to who who were in red states that Donald Trump won, the right. people considered were the most vulnerable. You know, Claire right. McCaskill, Joe Donnelly. Right. Joe Manchin, Heitkamp. Heidi Heitkamp and mm-hmm. John Tester. Well, so mm-hmm. there's one of them that looks like, yep. I, I'm pretty sure even without Blankenship in there, Joe Joe Manchin would probably be okay, right? But this makes it even more likely he'll right. be okay. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean Patrick Morrissey is a uh, greater threat to Manchin than Don Blankenship, but that is only because Don Blankenship was like so bad and not a threat at all that you're like starting at zero. So anyone who is not Don Blankenship is more of a threat to him. Uh, look, looking at the Democratic front, um, which you've been doing, uh, you reported on Democrats of. Doing a, during a new effort to fight fake news? Yeah. Yes. What's that all about? So um, there is a uh, Democratic group called DS Political, and they are starting a new tool to fight fake news. And it is really, I mean, there is nothing to my knowledge that is um, similar to what they have um, created. And it's this product called Antidote is the name of the tool. And it's, you know, it's like a funny um, antidote to fighting fake news. And basically, it would work such that um, it would make these hyper-targeted ads to persuadable voters. So not just Democrats who are encountering fake news, but Republicans and independents who are online and who are encountering and going to fake news websites. They had they said the list of these potential websites that are pushing fake news um, are like a thousand. They have a thousand of them, hmm. um, and that could grow or shrink depending on like how these websites evolve and what their um, tool finds. And one of them, I'm told, is Breitbart. So we know for sure that Breitbart is going to be one of these websites where if you or I are online and we encounter an article on Breitbart that is determined by their tool, which um, uses both humans and machine learning to decide like what is a fake news article, if we encounter that on Breitbart- Breitbart would ever put out fake news? <laughs> yeah. Well, now I am shocked. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. Yes. Um, so if we uh, encounter something on Breitbart, then anywhere else we go on the internet, they are then able to hit us with targeted ads that will correct the record for whatever we saw. So if we saw a rumor about 
Joe Manchin on Breitbart that he um, made some corrupt business deal at some point in his life, right? We would then see an ad from someone from, and like the people who are making these ads are not DS political. They're not controlling the messaging. It's the candidates or their campaign teams or groups who are working in favor of certain candidates or interests are able to control the messaging. So imagine it as a sort of fact check message. Obviously, the messaging and the look of the ads can be different, mm -hmm. but it's sort of just to correct the record if you've seen or encountered fake news. Well, who's doing it? Who's DS political? So they are a group of um, Democrats and progressives who only work with progressive aligned groups who are helping Democrats. So they're not opening this up to Republican groups Is or things like that. Is this kind of a, then like a truth squad? or um, A little bit, yeah. And they've been around. And they are one of the leading like digital ad targeting networks around that are helping Democrats but, and progressive so, groups. But I don't but, understand. How about if I, if I go to the, whatever, Washington Examiner or Daily Caller, mm -hmm. see something that's fake, um, They'll come, they'll follow me and then send me some ad to. So well, if I see it, how right. do they know that I, how do they know that I know it's fake? I mean, I may, I may look at it and I may, or I may not believe it anyhow. Yeah. Right? I may right away say, that's, oh, that's BS, right? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think what they're doing is they have some insane voter database that they are going to use to overlay with the information they're collecting on who's encountering fake news. I was told that they are operating under all of the, you know, privacy regulations and standards so that they're not violating users' privacy. Um, and they're trying to meet them online where they're going. And I think the idea is that they don't believe that, you know, everyone is susceptible to fake news, but I think they or I guess they do believe that, right, because of how prevalent it is and also yeah, the way that we know how much it is growing. So I think the idea is that perhaps if you are considered a persuadable voter, right, not a Democrat who's going to vote Democrat, but someone who is leaning Democrat or who is an independent or a moderate Republican who is encountering these things, who is likely to believe this fake news and has encountered it, then the campaigns can, if you're a part of this database, target you where you go elsewhere. But the big thing is that they won't be advertising on these fake news websites. And that's sort of their um, bottom mm -hmm. line, right? Is like these websites will thrive and grow based on ad dollars and revenue that they're getting from ads that are mm -hmm. placed on their website. So this group, DS Political, is saying we are not advertising fake sites instead will be placing them elsewhere like facebook and different things where right. users are going online yeah so that they're not feeding the beast but enough of the right-wing candidates may be advertising on those sites you know i'm not uh, sure definitely that, i'm yeah. not sure i'm not sure right. they're going to be uh, hurt uh, right. it, it's an interesting um I, I i'd also like to know the um the criteria they use for choosing what's fake news yes. and what's not. Yes, exactly. And that's something I tried to suss out from I have them. a pretty good rule. Anything coming out of the White House is fake news. <laughs> right. Anything coming out of Sarah Huckabee Sanders right. is fake news. Right. Cool. Any any tweet of Donald Trump's is fake news. Fake news. <laughs> yeah, right. Also Breitbart. Breitbart yeah, also. It's on the news. list. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing that was interesting and I was trying to suss out because I think that's important. We talk a lot about fake news, but I think... There are like many different definitions of what that can be, whether it's just something misleading or outright false or what have you. And they have, like I mentioned, this interesting strategy of using both machine learning that combs through all these websites and collects yeah, data right. to help them inform their decisions I mean, and then humans to do it. It's, well. it's also just I, so it's so 
it shows how hard it is to fight this stuff mm-hmm. when like it started out as a legitimate thing. Right. Fake news was a legitimate problem. Mm-hmm. And I think it really sort of came to the uh, uh, public forum with, with like Pizzagate, right? After the guy oh, shot yeah. up Comet Ping Pong and everyone was like, okay, we've got to put a stop to fake news and the fake news coming out of the Trump administration. And Donald Trump just casually took the phrase fake news and made it his own. And now he just uses it to describe news that he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Right. It's it's like it's really hard to fight. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's something they but, told me, too. Like, this is a they were like, we're proud of what we're doing, obviously, but this is a very small um, step toward what is a very large problem. Well, I love to expose all the fake news that I can. And, of course, that's what makes me <clears throat> an enemy of the American people here, <laughs> uh, the Bill Press Show. Alexa McCammon here is a friend of Bill uh, from Axios uh, and... Uh, as we mentioned, we'll be joined next by Jen Bendry from HuffPost uh, with a lot more on the news of the day, uh, including what looks like maybe the first Native American female, Native American period, happens to be a woman, governor of any state in the union. Uh, quick break. We'll be right back uh, with Jen Bendry joining me and Alexa McCabot. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Here we go. Tuesday, May 22nd. How about it? Coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Uh, enemy of the American people. That's me, says Donald Trump, uh, and proud of it. We are brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone, a proud American family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families. You're going to have any of our great grocery chains here in this country and the people that stock the shelves and check you out and otherwise provide great service, members of the UFCW. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, direct you to their website, ufcw.org. Alexa McCammon has been here with us and continues as a friend of Bill for this hour. Uh, from Axios, and uh, we're joined by another longtime friend of the Bill Press Show and Bill Press, uh, Jen Bendry from HuffPost. Hello, Jen. How you doing? Hi, Bill. I'm good. Everything good? It's very good. Everything good on the um, on the congressional front? We had uh, Congressman Earl Blumenauer in uh, earlier this morning, um, and uh, we were talking about the farm bill. This was a big priority for uh, Good or bad? And he said the farm bill, he, Earl Blumenauer, thought the farm bill was a horrific bill. But Paul Ryan, that was his big priority, baby, right? He was going to get it through the House and and didn't work out. It was a piece of his welfare reform agenda. Yeah. A big deal for him. what happened? Conservatives brought it down. They wanted wanted some concessions related to immigration and— they, in the end, they just couldn't get a deal, and they put it on the floor anyways, mm-hmm. and it went down in a big defeat. Uh, which was kind of a moment for Paul Ryan, right? I mean, he's still speaker, but does this show he doesn't have as much juice because he's announced that he's resigning? Well, there's certainly a lot of talk right now about him losing his his strength over the caucus, but, I mean, he's on his way out, right? And so mm-hmm. now he's at a point where he is focused on legacy making and saying nice things about all the things they've done. And, and yeah, he doesn't look great. And like, he's in a great position right now and people are already tangling over who's going to replace him. So he's starting to become irrelevant. Well, uh, he wasn't even able to fire the chaplain. 
<laughs> that was a whole other bizarre story, which it's still not entirely clear what happened, but it appears to me that um, he fired the chaplain because conservatives in his caucus thought the chaplain was too progressive, basically. Mm -hmm. I've heard part of it was related to a speech the chaplain gave last November about the GOP's tax bill basically actually, jumping on poor people. A prayer. A prayer. He gave a prayer. A prayer the You're, invocation. Right. He yeah, gave the invocation. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Basically, you know, pointing out that the bill dumps on poor people, even though the way he said it, I mean, he was very fair about it. Right. He said, let's make sure everybody, you know, this bill yeah. treats everybody equally, yeah. which is a very Catholic or, pastor thing to say. So, Or fairly, certainly. Yes. Everybody, but that, yeah. So that didn't go over well because Paul Ryan <laughs> thought that meant that he was, you know, ragging on the bill. But then I also heard more recently that part of the problem was that some conservatives thought that they didn't like that the chaplain was more accepting of LGBT people. Really? Yeah. Huh. And I've no, heard that, that from a couple of members yeah, that that's that, what they've heard. I think so the best, they, I think they, the best. I, I uh, would believe that. They, they, I, would I believe that. They, they told that I heard that they told, um, I've been told this by two members, um, not confirmed, but it is something out there that some conservatives went to Kevin McCarthy, the house majority leader and said, we don't, we're not happy with the way he is accepting of LGBTQ people, and we don't feel he represents us as the House chaplain and do something about it. So uh, apparently Kevin McCarthy went to Paul Ryan and said this, and Paul Ryan hmm. a little bit later decided to fire him. You know, related story, nothing to do with Paul Ryan, is uh, that this, this morning it's reported that at this most recent meeting in the Vatican, uh, the Pope meeting with a group of LGBTQ um, from people around the world, uh, told this one young man from South America somewhere uh, where the Pope has come under criticism himself because he supported a bishop who had was guilty of some sexual abuse and also um, had been just transferred from place to place, whatever. Uh, and the Pope acknowledged that he was wrong. Uh, and then this young man said, I was afraid you might not like me because I happen to be gay. And the Pope said to him, uh, look, God made you who you are, and you should be proud of who you are and happy with who you are, and uh, God's happy with you, and the Pope is happy with you, which, uh, Alexa, was a pretty yeah. big step for Pope. And, and right. I'm sure there were some people in cardinals in the Vatican who were not too happy with that <laughs> statement. I'm sure. But, I mean, he's proven that he would make bold statements and sort of be like a more modern pope in a way that is like more accepting than we've seen in the past. And I think that's something when there are, uh, is crazy news happening all the time is like a one, you know, little glimmer of hope. He, Yeah. And he and he on that on this score, he's had some bad marks. So this was, mm -hmm. I think, Pope yeah, I Francis feel like he's gone back up. and forth somewhat. Mm -hmm. He on has, this, which yeah. is confusing. I think he's now turned the corner. It looks like it with this statement to me. I mean, that's I hope the most so. direct, you know, pro LGBT statement he's made. Mm -hmm. I told my wife, who was raised Catholic, about this yesterday. Oh. She was like, "Wow, the church is really changing. Uh, that is not how it was when I was going to church." To say, yeah, he's been he's been really progressive on many fronts. This was one where you know he 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 was. Holding back, right? And people were disappointed. So maybe, maybe he's turned the corner there too. Um, uh, we talked, uh, um, uh, uh, Alexi and I were talking before you got here about Mitch McConnell maybe threatening at least to hold the members in uh, the Senate in session during the month of August. What are you hearing on that front? First of all, they do this every year. Threaten. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's always <laughs> a threat. It during the year. Huh? Has it ever happened? 
the last time I remember, s- no, actually, I don't remember the last time it happened. I remember yeah. very, very loud threats about it. I remember a, a long time ago in the House, they had their energy fight and Democrats stayed for the August recess and were in the dark house chamber giving speeches when it was closed. Do you remember mm-hmm. this? This was like late 2000, like 2000, mm-hmm. I don't know, 2009. Um, but no, I don't remember a time when senators for all their talk, they were actually willing to forego a month back home and stay in Washington to make speeches on the Senate floor. No, There is... One thing that will drive a senator to do something more than anything else, and that is going home. They want to go home. Mm-hmm. They don't want to stay here for August. They'll talk a good talk, well, but they will not want to do this. Plus, let's accept it. This is the swamp. For, I mean, for, yeah. for It really is, like, for a reason. Well, especially in August. Yes. Terrible. Yeah. The humidity, this is a swamp. Yeah. And so the people, for their own health, should get out of town, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't think they're going to. You gonna don't want do to stay. It. If you have any sense at all, you are not in Washington yeah. in August. Right. Well, and they just don't want it. They don't like being here anyway. I mean, do you, you think could... there was a political calculus behind it, in addition to the criticism from Republicans saying they weren't getting enough done, blah blah blah? Like, do you think there was any other political calculus behind these threats, or it's just like this is what they, they do this do. every year, and yeah. they do it increasingly in election years, mm-hmm. and. This is a big year for the Senate in particular in terms of the midterms. Right. There's a lot of seats that could flip. And I think Mitch McConnell is feeling some heat from the White House to stay in because there are a lot of uh, executive nominees that haven't gotten confirmed. Mm-hmm. So that's a big push mm-hmm. you know, to stay in and just confirm them. Uh, the White House also is not they don't fully get the cycles of, of Congress. I think maybe if they believe they're really going to stay in session in August and confirm a bunch of ex- executive nominees. They don't fully understand that that's not the appetite of senators ever. Yeah. So, uh, no, I just think that it's an election year, and Mitch McConnell wants to sound threatening, and uh, he, it gives well, cover to some of the Republicans who are running, who are like, "Heck yeah, we should stay in." I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> Dean Heller, and I'm in a tight race, <laughs> and we should be working around the clock for the American people. I just did a quick uh, uh, primer on the recess. So the very first official August recess began in August of 1971. They have never skipped the recess. Mm-hmm. They have never skipped the recess. However, uh, Time Magazine is the one that did the report on this. There have been a couple of instances where Congress returned mid-recess. One was in 2004 when they came back to hold hearings in light of the release of the 9-11 Commission report. And then in 2005... They returned to pass legislation to aid Hurricane Katrina victims. Now, I was looking to see where this, like, when, to, to find some numbers on this. I found a story from 2017, 2016, and 2015, all headlines saying, Congress is considering scrapping the August mm-hmm. recess. <laughs> so, like, good. it's been around for a while, the idea, but they've, they've never done actually done it. They've done right. it every year since I've been covering yeah. Congress, which is, like, since 2006. I mean, wow. And they, and, and don't forget they threaten weekends too. Like that's another yeah. thing you want to take away. You want to really get to a senator. You threaten to, to stay in session during a week long break or mm-hmm. even a long weekend, mm-hmm. even any weekend. Mm-hmm. Harry Reid <laughs> used to say it all the time. Well, if we don't get these judges done this week, we're staying in Saturday. Yeah. And you could just see the faces of senators on the Senate floor. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of judges, uh, a lot of criticism that the. Uh, uh, I think rightfully so. Congress is not accomplishing any major legislation, not getting anything done. 
But as you keep reporting, you stayed on top of this. They're getting judges done. Oh, hell yeah, they are. That's 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 <laughs> arguably Trump's biggest accomplishment to date and Mitch McConnell's biggest biggest accomplishment. They've confirmed record numbers of judges. These are lifetime circuit court and district judges who are in their 40s, early mm -hmm. 50s, very young for a judge. So that means they'll be on their Good on mix the bench. of men and women. Uh, well, we'll get to that. It's uh, <laughs> The key thing to know about Trump's judges is that they're all, for the most part, they're young, they're extremely conservative, they're white, and they're male, and they're straight. So imagine that times, you know, how many is it even now? Like 30 judges, 40-something, it's up yeah. there. The key is, I mean, lifetime, lifetime uh, so, judges. Yeah. And so he's already confirmed. So there's the circuit courts are, are bigger courts than district courts. They're and, one level below the Supreme Court. And handle a lot more cases in the Supreme way Court. Way more. And so circuit court judges are particularly powerful. They're often tapped to be Supreme Court judges mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when a Supreme Court justice dies. Um, Trump has confirmed more circuit court judges than... I, I think ever than any judge, than any president at this point, ever. And if it's not ever, it is going way back. He's confirmed way more than Obama did. So I think he's at the point where he has now filled a third of the empty seats on, on the circuit court level, mm. which is tremendous. No, These are, are in 18 huge months. Huge effect on Americans right. for decades. And this is something that is not as flashy as some topics like corruption or. Um, you know, Robert Mueller's probe or um, right. the latest scandal of the day in the White House with bickering between White House aides. It's just not it's not as sexy as those kind of like shocking topics. But this is the kind of stuff that will outlast all of us. This is going to be here mm -hmm. way past Trump, way past Mitch McConnell, way past us. I mean, these are judges for decades who will be making decisions that affect millions of people. And one thing, and like, it's not that sexy of a topic, I agree, but it is interesting to hear how Republicans talk about how they hope this will turn out conservative voters, right? This idea that if you elect more Republican senators, they will help confirm more conservative judges. I interviewed the president of the Susan B. Anthony list last week, and Trump is headlining their pro-life gala tonight and um she was saying like this is something we are like really investing in in various battleground hmm. senate races to talk to voters to say like look if you don't have more republican senators we're not going to have these conservative judges who will not overturn roe v wade or you know approve a 20-week abortion ban or a six-week abortion ban at the federal level which thus far has been shot down by federal courts so that's interesting to see how you know, not only what they're thinking, but how they will go about implementing that moving forward. Well, no, I don't know if it'll turn people out. I I'm mean, not sure. no doubt. I mean, what's behind um, so, what some people find as a surprising support among evangelicals for um, mm -hmm. a, a guy like Donald Trump, mm -hmm. <laughs> whom you would think is a person they would soon reject based on his personal life, is because yeah. he's committed to appointing judges who will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, I think among conservatives, judges have always been a top priority. It's not There's not really an equivalent in the Democratic Party. Right. They just don't yep. make that as yeah. much of a priority. And they have been building up to this moment for years. They have laid the groundwork for what is happening right now by blocking Obama's judges for years, by lining up nominees for Trump to have ready as soon as he came into the White House. So conservatives are on, on this, and they have mm -hmm. been for years. And I think that at an event like the one you're talking about, Judges and the idea of of uh, 
you know, needing more Republicans in the Senate to confirm more conservative judges absolutely resonates with that crowd. I do think, however, as someone who just covers judicial fights and writes about judges, I don't see that being an issue that really drives people to the polls beyond these very niche, very conservative groups, because it's not the kind of thing that I think, and this is my gut, that that's not going to affect you in your daily life, you know, like healthcare or taxes or jobs. I mean, those are the things that Except, people Except, as you say, with. for the really driven, like the evangelicals. Yes, you're right. Yes. That's, they have one issue. Right. They have one issue. They don't oh, care yeah. what Donald Trump says about anything else, it's, and their issue is abortion. Right. Um, and they would maybe probably... Maybe gay marriage and abortion, but right. less so gay marriage today than abortion. Still. Right. right. Still. And they would probably show up for him anyway. Exactly. So to your point, it's so sort the, of like the, how... Yeah, I'm not it. sure how much of right. that crowd yeah. really needs the extra push anyway. Right. Um, oh, man. Well, the team with us, Alexa McCammon and uh, Jen Bendry here, HuffPost and uh, uh, Axios. Right. Um, you, you mentioned, just final thing on courts, uh, one article about the, he filled, the Republicans filled a court seat that's been sitting there empty for six years. This is like the Supreme Court seat that they held on to until... They had Donald okay. Trump in the White House. This is way worse than the Supreme Court seat. Really? <laughs> that seat was yeah. open for longer than six years but it was it was intentionally kept empty by republicans under obama for six years in order to keep it open for a future republican president to fill and it was one senator ron johnson from wisconsin who pulled every possible trick in the book to prevent that seat from getting filled this is a circuit court judge that's again that's a much Mm -hmm. more powerful judge i mean as soon as that seat got empty ron johnson used a procedural step in the in the Senate known as blue slips to, to prevent the seat from being filled when that nominee pulled out because nothing was happening. Then he demanded that his home state's judicial nominating commission completely recraft itself and start all over with the way they confirm they, they put forward nominees. So that took a year. Mm. And then that that panel couldn't agree on which nominees to put forward. So that took another year. And it just it's remarkable how long that they were able to delay that one. It was the longest one in the country. And then just a couple of weeks ago, um, they teed up a nominee without a blue slip and confirmed him. And it was wow. it, they, they, it was one of the most ironic uh, judges being confirmed it based on re- its history. Yeah, it does remind a little bit of Merrick Garland, but as you say, much um, uh, much longer, much more egregious much, process, much, much more egregious. Um, and now the latest rumor floating around is that the Republicans are pressuring Anthony Kennedy, justice, to retire before the end of the year in case Democrats take control of the Senate. Conservatives want to have a chance to put in a new Supreme Court justice before the end of the year while they have um, a bare majority in the Senate. Of course, whether Kennedy goes along with that game or not, probably. I Why would say on earth not. would Kennedy go along with that? It's yeah, like separation no. of yeah. powers for one thing. Yeah, it's totally inappropriate. Yeah, they're basically uh, like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, you, yeah. Supreme Court justice, and, uh, step someone, down so we can replace you now." Yeah. Right. Why would you? Why would you do that? And someone pointed out yesterday too that Anthony Kennedy has already hired his clerks for the next session, oh. which is an indication that he's not going anywhere. That, yeah. What, what right. possible reason would he have to step down? Right. Oh, uh, you know, Supreme so Court nice. justice. He gets to go back to Sacramento. Uh, okay, you guys, <laughs> you guys both cover uh, politics. Uh, the the a couple of very big races this year. 
uh, and very interesting races. It looks like there's a possibility people are getting excited that the state of Idaho, of all places, might have the first, not just the first female Native, first Native American, period, ever governor of any state. A serious chance, Jen? It is a long shot. Still, yeah. It's Idaho. Of course, it is Idaho. They haven't, they haven't yeah. had a, a Democratic governor since 1990. This yeah. is an extremely red state. Every single member of their political party is Republican. That means the state legislature, the governor, mm -hmm. their U.S. senators, their U.S. Congress pe people, their uh, governor, every, every level of government there. Like California, is, everyone is Democratic. Right, this is the mirror, is, the complete, yeah. like, the right. upside-down world version of California. <laughs> so um, it's a very long shot. Yeah. However... Um, I could be wrong, but my gut, I've been following this one, and my gut tells me she has a shot, and it's because of the unusual moment that mm -hmm. we're in. There was a huge level of Democratic turnout in Idaho for her. Huge. Like, breaking records in some counties, big counties. Um, Didn't they run out of ballots? They ran out of ballots in I, Bo yeah. the county where Boise mm -hmm. is, which is, like, the main you know, hmm. hub right. of Idaho. And so, like, they maybe they the didn't print enough or whatever, but they, also yes. maybe it's reflective of they, this turnout. Well, the, and the enthusiasm had, we talked about at the top of the... Right. Yes, yeah. that is the... That democratic enthusiasm is, in effect, in places like Idaho. And so she's got that going for her, the national trend here, but mm -hmm. also she's young and she's exciting. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she's a new face for a party that just keeps losing mm -hmm. in that state. And it's like a different tack. Mm -hmm. And right. she's Native American, and it, the historic stuff is very interesting, but she's also... She's from Idaho. She's a lifelong Idahoan. She's got all like very long ties to the state. She's a. Uh, I think the key for her is that she also is a uh, uh, a rancher mm -hmm. and a farm ag person. Mm -hmm. Which she's not just like a progressive Democratic candidate. She's she lives yeah. on a ranch in rural right. Idaho and grew up there and understands ranchers and the land and the need like that piece of it. Yeah. I think my gut tells me that that could be her way to mm -hmm. win over enough independents, mm -hmm. possibly some Republicans, over yeah. the guy against her. And I mean, this is a very long shot, but I think that yeah. would make sense to me. And I think Democrats really want to elect women. You know, we saw that in Nebraska with Kara Eastman, who beat out Brad Ashford, who was backed by the DCCC. Mm. Um, we saw that in Pennsylvania last week as well. And I think six or seven women are now advancing to the general. Um, obviously, that doesn't get to the independents and the Republicans voting for her. But I think we are in this unique moment that you were just talking about where there's a lot of energy National trends are shifting. People are, I think, really seeing that this could be a moment for change where they change the face of the Democratic Party in a way that is longer lasting. Um, I think that they want to elect women. And I think that that is something that is helping women across the country. Uh, absolutely. A, a lot of a big, big winners. So some if I remember them correctly, the New York Times last week, that there were like 59 women who went won primaries and 52 of the 59 were Democrats mm -hmm. uh, yeah. all, all across all across the country. Another um, female candidate getting a lot of attention in Georgia, Stacey Abrams. I don't know much about this race. I don't know whether the two of you do, but she's an African-American mm -hmm. running for governor. Uh, still has to get through the Democratic primary against a member of Congress, another woman. Named Stacey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also named Stacey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but Stacey Abrams would become the first African-American female Governor, right of any state, and only the second, and in Georgia, mm, yes, know. and only the second African American governor ever is my understanding. Who's the first? No, no, you've had Devon, Deval Patrick, right? and um, 
Um, Maybe second. I just woman. blanked uh, David Patterson in New York. Yeah. Beyond that, I'm not sure. Though. So maybe third then. Might be. Th- but yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I Which mean, is this is stunning. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd have to think about. Those that. are the yeah. two. Those you are. Just mentioned right. the, you just mentioned the two. Yeah. Those but David Patterson. <laughs> David Patterson was not elected. Is that right? Like he was. He was. Yeah. He was nominated. Or well, not nominated. No. But he was. Uh, uh, I forgot what it was. Was it after Elliot? Uh, uh, Elliot Spitzer, Spitzer yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he wasn't reelected. Yeah. Right. Well, um, also, also Doug Wilder from Virginia. Doug Wilder from Virginia's. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyway. that, that's also so this trend that we're seeing, which is a record number of Black women running for office at every level, and I think we will see. Stacey Abrams' race will be an interesting case study. Obviously, it's unique, yeah. but um, look to see that trend around the country. And a uh, biracial American as now the new Princess of Sussex in the <laughs> UK. Oh my God. Jen Bender, it's great to see you as always. Follow her at HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Uh, and Alexi, follow at Axios.com. Thank you both. Is the Thank Bill you. Press Show.